Hello, and welcome to Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. I'm Mark. More than a thousand years ago in China, an unprecedentedly massive reform was launched by one of the time's most prominent political stars. He wanted to bring a declining dynasty back to its potential greatness with one of the most comprehensive ancient Chinese reforms that unfortunately failed. Yet his ideas over a thousand years ago were deemed pioneering concepts that are still prevalent today. In this episode of the show, I'm going to tell you who this reformer was and what he did to become the most controversial intellectual of feudal China. Now let's start with the facts about Wang and Shi. Wang had a resume that very few of his peers could beat. He was one of the top scorers in the national imperial exam in his early 20s. He spent the first 20 years of his career serving ably as a local administrator in various posts in South China and gained practical experience in local governance. In his late 40s, he was appointed by the emperor to become his chief counsellor. He was a role model for Confucian scholars and officials who spoke highly of his moral integrity. Respected and remembered as a great writer and philosopher, his essays and poems have been passed down through generations and are still hugely popular in China today. But most of all, he's known as the man who pushed forward the famous reforms in the 11th century in China. His name, whenever mentioned, brings to mind the reforms that ended up a failure that some blamed for the final collapse of his dynasty. It nearly changed everything about the reformer himself. Not only did his reforms not materialize in his lifetime, his career ended in disgrace. But was he really guilty as charged? Now let's find out what made these noteworthy reforms controversial, also known as the New Policies, Xin Fa. First his motives. Prior to the reforms, the Song government was supporting an overloaded bureaucracy and an ever-expanding professional army. The cost was a crushing burden on the dynastic finances, and the Song began to experience large budget deficits. To the dismay of its rulers, the Song found itself constantly challenged by its neighbouring enemies, who always held an upper hand in wars along the northern borders. Midway through the 11th century, some thought the needs of the Song dynasty did call for a change, but very few reformers had arisen to suggest radical improvements to the existing system. When young Emperor Shang Zong came to the throne, he was determined to tackle these problems with the determination of, say, Peter the Great of Russia, when he desired to push his nation into the modern era, in an all-round way. He appointed Wang An Shi as his chief counsellor, who intended to bring his dynasty from the verge of decline. Wang An Shi was sure that he had the cure to what ailed the empire. Saving an empire from the brink of decline was no easy job. As the old saying goes, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Now, you might wonder, what was his cure, and how did it end up as a poison? Wang Anshu's new policies meant well, and pinpointed the core problems that were facing the Song dynasty. 
likely hope to cut government expenditure and increase overall national wealth and power through implementing a series of laws concerning the economy, education and the civil service, as well as the military. Wang first made sure to strengthen the centralization of power. He established the Finance Planning Commission, a government agency that was responsible for a complete restructuring of the bureaucracy. It served as an umbrella for his ensuing series of reform policies. Now let's briefly go through some of his reforms and see what could have gone wrong during the plan's implementation that led up to its final failure. On the economic front, one of his major new policies was the Green Sprout Law that allowed local governments to grant small volume credit to poor peasants at an interest rate of 20% per year. Prior to this time, credit was available only from wealthy landowners who charged significantly higher rates of interest. Meanwhile, new land surveys were made to correct tax inequalities. This equitable tax system was designed to lower the tax burden on peasants. Part of the tax revenues went to fund the hired service system, which provided salaried employees with local sub-bureaucratic posts in place of conscripted labour. Now, his ideas about financing small loans at zero to nominal interest rates and tax equity are deemed ages ahead of their time. But guess who weren't happy about it? On the side of education and the civil service, he asked to scrap subjects that stressed rote learning and instead put more emphasis on writing with substance. The new examinations for the civil service required not only the traditional essays on the classics, but also the composition of actual policy proposals. Wang Anshe also introduced specialised degrees in fields such as law, science and medicine. He also wanted to put all government employees, even those in the lowliest positions, on cash salaries to replace the pay in kind they'd previously been receiving. Additional bureaucratic reforms included a system of strict supervision with incentive measures to reward high-quality work. He also laid off redundant officials. So imagine how many complaints and adversaries he stacked up from that move. In support of the military, Wang Anshe introduced a system in which households with two or more sons were required to supply one male for military training and service in the local militia. He also introduced a horse breeding system in which civilian households were charged with raising horses to be used by the army in times of war. Wang's policies were interdependent in that properly managing state finances required an educational system capable of training people with the necessary skills. But unfortunately, his plans were implemented poorly for various reasons, some beyond his control. First of all, Wang's reforms were too contentious, hence gave rise to continuously organised resistance. He wanted to change too much too quickly and left no stone unturned. This upset many conservatives whose income and power were undermined. Conservative scholar officials considered Wang Anshe's values as too unorthodox to their beliefs. While they insisted that certain natural phenomena, like floods or drought, are heavenly God's warnings towards the world, Wang Anshe made it public that he did not believe in these natural signs. 
while the Conservatives worshipped laws and traditions from ancient times, he said that old laws were outdated. While steadfast followers of Confucius cared a great deal about their reputation, Wang turned a blind eye to what others said about him. These differences were irreconcilable. Instead of garnering support from these high-ranking officials and landlords, his biggest resistance was from this class of stakeholders. Another thing was that Wang and Xie wouldn't compromise an inch, even when necessary. He was so forceful in implementing his controversial new policies that he wouldn't even consider any constructive suggestions. Some of his opponents did not necessarily refuse reforms that had the potential to make their empire stronger, they just simply thought Wang's policies were too radical to be realistic. Which brings us to the third factor affecting the implementation of the new policies. Wang and Xie was fighting a battle that should have been fought with an army of kindred spirits, but he only had support from his boss, the Emperor, and a group of flattering opportunists reporting to him. This proved to be dangerous territory, as these officials were only after quick political success, and they tried whatever means to reach their personal objectives, instead of making sure the reforms were successful. For example, the voluntary small-volume agricultural loans, when carried out, became compulsory and interest rates were set higher than they should be. Poor farmers who should have benefited from the policies ended up suffering more. Unfavourable climatic events like famine also took things from bad to worse. It was a slippery slope more and more consequences began taking their toll as radical measures kept proceeding. His political rivals began launching personal attacks, making an issue of his bad hygiene and eating habits. Some key opinion leaders described him as a scoundrel and argued that a man in his position shouldn't eat like a dog and dress like a prisoner, which is something only an evil person would do. Although his emperor continued to support the reforms, Wang had invited so much public discontent that he was compelled to resign in 1076. He spent the remaining years of his life writing poetry and scholarly works. He died in 1086, a few months after the death of Emperor Shangzong. The central government was then dominated by conservative officials who abolished all the reforms. But some critics believe that Wang and Xie's aggressive reform measures had caused huge fractures in the bureaucratic system for years that resulted in the final collapse of the government five decades later. Wang and Xie is now regarded as being ahead of his time. His reforms are believed to have well deserved the label of proto-Keynesian, he emphasised the importance of government's expenditure to support aggregate demand, the increase of inducement to invest and state control of the economy in order to combat economic depression, especially regarding unemployment. Apart from his political legacy, Wang was highly respected as a great writer. His essays and poems have been widely deemed as having great literary value and are still popular today, especially those written in his later years. One of his most recited poems is entitled Plum Blossoms, which goes A few plum twigs at the corner of the wall 
blossoming all alone, defying the cold. Even from afar, they cannot be mistaken for snow, for a delicate fragrance comes wafting with the breeze. The flowers which blossom in bitter cold are seen as a symbol of strong willpower and persistence, reflecting the author who never gave up despite being under fierce attack by his political rivals. Special thanks go to San Leon Jong Du for contributing to the content of the show. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe via wherever you tune in. I'm Mark. Thanks for your company. See you next time on Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. Thank you.